0: Welcome to the Carbon Stations podcast, where we speak to some of the leading figures in the emerging carbon industry. Our guest today is Chris Tolls, CEO and co-founder of the soil carbon measurement company Yardstick. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for making the time for this. Now, what Yardstick does is, of course, very fascinating, and we'll dive into that in just a bit. Uh, But first, I'd like to get a bit of your backstory and what you used to do before entering the soil carbon space.
1: Yeah, uh, not soil carbon. (laughs) I have a I have an, uh, maybe atypical background for your average soil carbon measurement startup CEO. Immediately before Yardstick, I was doing the same thing in one way, which is science commercialization. That's generally my, my jam, my, my focus, but completely different in almost every other way. Uh, I was bringing to market the research of a dermatology researcher here in Boston, amazing woman named Amelia Javorsky, who had pitched me on an edible sunscreen product, ingestible sun protection. With a fern compound, Uh, you eat it and it works like sun protection. It's pretty trippy and it is not at all bullshit, which was my initial uh, suspicion. So completely different company, consumer product, direct e-commerce subscription. I sold that in early 2020 and then was like, hey, I want to do that again. That being co-founded a company alongside a scientist and was only looking at climate. So got involved in MCJ, my climate journey, their Slack group, and found my uh, remarkable Co-founder, Kevin, and our lead science advisor, Christine Morgan, who had been working on this for pretty literally 15 years at that point.
0: Wow. So what exactly inspired you to, you know, to to get into this space particularly, like of all the, you know, of of all the climate mitigation options available? Yeah, I mean, what appeals to me about soil as a climate solution is, is all the
1: same things as everybody else. Working with natural systems, affordability, immediacy, co-benefits. Um, in the U.S., I find it especially inspiring because it can bridge a, a pretty profound cultural gap. Uh, we sort of code switch between conversations around soil carbon and soil health with some frequency, which which I like. Um, honestly, though, because I'm the business guy, I am not the ideas guy or or gal. I'm I'm an executor, right? Like I'm. I'm taking a real technology and turning it into a company. So the number one thing that got me excited about Yardstick was these aforementioned two people, Kevin, uh, who's our CTO and my co-founder, Hardware Wizard, uh, was at SpaceX and Planet Labs and can make anything uh, in his basement, Um, and Christine Morgan, this world-class soil scientist who toiled in obscurity, at least obscurity relative to crystals. Uh, for a great a great deal of time, right? She's the classic scientist that 15 years ago figured out the thing that I'm now getting religion on, which is, hey, soils matter uh, almost infinitely and measurement is inseparable from any impact. So the chemistry I had with them, the quality of the underlying academic research, um, those are the things that really got me most excited because there's lots of great climate solutions out there, right? I could have met a DAC a scientist and gotten riled up about DAC and that certainly was possible. So I have no particular loyalty to soul before I met uh, Christine Morgan and and now I do. And I'm uh, enormously grateful to both of them for giving me the benefit of the doubt as well, considering I, I didn't have any background uh, in the sector from a from a science perspective.
0: Okay. And so speaking of, of measuring, uh, I've spoken to a number of different companies that each have their own approaches to carbon farming and measuring soil carbon. But Yard6 definitely does stand out to me. And uh, I'd love it if you could, you know, please get into the details of, of how it all works and why it's so amazingly accurate. And if I'm not mistaken, it's cost effective as well.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure it's amazingly accurate, but it's uh, it's it's very accurate or more precisely, it's accurate enough to to do the job. Um, and we could talk a little bit more detail uh, about that. But um, our, our core purpose is to replace combustion analysis of soil carbon. Combustion is the name of the laboratory process uh, that happens when you ship a physical soil sample to a lab. Uh, our current paradigm of measuring soil carbon with conventional physical soil sampling and laboratory analysis, it works in the sense that like it's there and it's accessible, but it definitely does not work in terms of its scalability, both operationally, like physical soil samples are a giant pain in the ass, and cost-wise. Uh, the, the marginal cost of each of those analyses at, at the lab is just too high for us to be able to do this at scale. And the only measurement technologies that are ones that are going to have impact at global scale are the ones that have, have global scalability. So, while we will never be as uh, scalable in one way as a, a satellite, um, soil carbon is underground and satellites can't see underground. So, we represent a sort of ride or die proximal soil carbon measurement perspective. Proximal means like boots on the ground, you know, in field on, on farm. That comes with the downside of you have to get there, right? You have to be in a truck. <laughs> You can't be in a satellite, but it comes with the benefit of actually interacting with the soil, um, which is essential if you're going to characterize it well, at least in terms of of soil carbon. Uh, The particular technology that we're commercializing is called in-situ spectroscopy. In-situ, again, means in-field, on-farm, and that's distinct from a laboratory deployment of spectroscopy, which requires the same physical uh, soil sampling, drying, and grinding, So we use spectroscopy on wet soils that are intact in the field on the farm. We can include a link to a video of our technology uh, because that makes everything make much more sense, but it's basically a big drill. And as we drill into the soil, we're recording a movie of the soil profile. Spectroscopy essentially means fancy video camera. And so from that movie, we can give you the same thing that the laboratory gives you, organic carbon content or organic carbon stocks, but do it way, way cheaper because the amount of time required to collect the information is much smaller. And uh, more importantly, we're eliminating the uh, cost burden of laboratory analysis. In-situ spectroscopy was one of the primary technologies that Christine spent some time with, um, and that's what we're commercializing in our hardware. We also do stratification and sample plan design. Of course, we've got a website and a a software platform, because who doesn't? Um, But the, the core novelty... Um, The the most interesting piece of our technologies, I guess, uh, is certainly our our hardware. And that's what we're most famous for.
0: Okay, Um, that's that's very impressive. And thanks for really diving deep into the to the technicals of it. We'll definitely include a link uh, for the video you mentioned. Um, But what does all of this look like from a farmer's perspective? Like, say I'm a farmer interested in starting to generate carbon credits from my property and I want to hire you to help me with that. How would I go about the whole process?
1: Well, you don't. Um, You don't hire me. Uh, I do soil carbon measurement on your farm or your ranch or your forest, for example. But the only reason I'm there is because you have already decided to enroll in somebody else's program. So let's use an example. Um, Organic Valley, one of our customers. Organic Valley uh, does a greenhouse gas inventory and they realize, "Uh uh-oh, 80 to 90% of my emissions are scope three. It's all my supply chain. It's all where my milk comes from. So Organic Valley says, hmm, how am I going to hit my net zero goal without figuring out how to do low carbon intensity milk? So it goes to their dairies and it says, hey, yesterday you sold me milk with this carbon intensity and tomorrow I would like that to be lower, please. And I'll provide incentives. I'll finance capital expenses that you have to invest in new equipment. I'll finance R&D on perhaps new grazing practices for your cows. Uh, that could reduce total emissions. As part of this project, I'm also going to hire Yardstick to come measure soil carbon so that we can figure out how our soil carbon stock's changing over the lifetime of the project. Are they declining? Are they growing? If they're declining, are they declining slower than they would have otherwise? If they're growing, good. Would they have grown otherwise? Um, So my paying customer is Organic Valley. But I'm doing the work on your land because you are a supplier to Organic Valley. That means, of course, you need to let me on your property, but you don't give me cash. Organic Valley gives me cash. And that structure holds if we're talking about voluntary carbon markets, soil carbon offset project developers. Indigo is the most visible of those. If uh, Indigo is doing the same thing, trying to recruit farmers in Iowa to change the farming practices, it's Indigo who would be Yardstick's paying customer, even though I'm still doing the work on the land of already enrolled farmers in Indigo's program. What, what the actual experience is like for you, though, as a farmer, to be clear, is uh, we get introduced via email, you know, a month beforehand. Uh, Indigo says, please don't shoot Yardstick when they pull up. And then you like open the gate. We chat. We show off our technology but the only thing that we actually require from farmers or ranchers are field boundaries polygons that describe your land although those typically come from our paying customer as well having already been provided by the the farmer or rancher uh, and physical access uh, you just you need to let me on your property because yardstick is a service in the US we sell soil carbon measurement services on a per acre basis i'm not handing the farmer or organic valley our spectral probe uh, i'm being hired that means uh, yardstick maintains its own world-class field team to go do the physical work of quote-unquote sampling, uh, even when it's with our novel spectral probe rather than conventional sampling equipment.
0: Okay, but just to be clear, for your paying customer, your hardware solution is more cost-effective than if they were to have soil samples sent to a testing lab, correct?
1: Yeah, the bulk of our work so far has been conventional stock quantification, and that's because we've been working on probe R&D in parallel to figuring out how to deploy a commercial sampling organization, which is going to have to have those skills, whether it's conventional sampling equipment or a spectral probe in their hands. So if you've been my customer at any point over the last three years, uh, there's an extremely high likelihood that the stock reporting that we've done back to you, which is the thing you hired us for, is via laboratory analysis, the process that we're trying to eliminate. But nonetheless, yes, with in-situ spectroscopy, as our probe is reaching maturity now and is ready to be deployed at scale, you'll enjoy much lower per acre costs of that stock quantification experience.
0: Okay, thank you. So I've come across several polls and studies over the past couple of years that say carbon farming practices aren't adopted um, as someone hoped for, like at the speed that someone would have hoped for or at the scale uh, necessary to make an impact, and that farmers are largely reluctant to participate in the voluntary carbon market. But... As you're fully immersed in this sector and, and have been for a few years now, could you please share your own observations of how quickly, if at all, uh, carbon farming is gaining momentum? Like, Is there a noticeable increase in interest or are things looking rather slow from your perspective as well?
1: Yeah, so I think it's important to, to define carbon farming as a phrase because people use that to mean lots of different things. What you described is very accurate in terms of enrollment in voluntary carbon market, VCM project development. Um, You see very high awareness, like 90-ish percent awareness of these programs, and then like low single-digit percent uh, enrollment. But again, we're talking enrollment in a VCM offset project developer working in soil. That's accurate. The barriers there are, uh, number one, economics. A twenty dollar ton just doesn't move the needle for a farmer that's otherwise making six, seven hundred dollars an acre uh, in in corn. Um, number two, uh, complexity. These are enormously complex programs, and while every project developer does their best to shield participating farmers from unnecessary complexity, there's just like still a lot of necessary complexity, and so it can be be it can be pretty bewildering. And uh, my marketing professor taught me that the confused mind does not buy. So when you're getting when you're a farmer and you're getting hit up by a half a dozen programs and you know you can only enroll in one, you're like, whoa! I'm going to let this kind of like simmer for a bit before I I make a long term uh, commitment. And by definition, most of these programs are long term commitments because that's central to the long term confidence in the climate benefits of uh, reducing emissions or you know preserving or, or restoring soil carbon stocks. Um, I'd say outside of that narrow lens of VCM enrollment, there are real positive uh, trajectories for adjacent kind of things that I would still call part of like the soil carbon movement, even if they're not VCM. So a perfect example of that is a bunch of policy momentum. USDA is currently spending $3.1 billion on a program called Climate Smart Commodities. It basically says, hey, the bulk of our emissions in the agricultural sector and the bulk of the revenue, the economic value of the agricultural sector is commodities. So how could we decarbonize commodities? Let's finance a whole bunch of original science to evaluate the potential of different ways of farming and ranching to produce that low-carbon intensity milk that I just described Organic Valley as blowing as to buy. Uh, the percentage of large companies that have SBTI-aligned net zero goals is skyrocketing. Every single agricultural food product probably has that same 80-ish percent of their emissions in in, uh, scope three, which means they got to figure out how to do low carbon intensity milk or beef or corn or canola or or whatever it is. Um, There's a lot of reasons the U.S. government spends money, obviously, but nonetheless, uh, you don't spend $3.1 billion taxpayer money lightly. So I'm, I'm greatly encouraged that that's both uh, compelling from a policy perspective and culturally, politically feasible for USDA to invest in. IRA significantly expanded programs like EQIP and CRP. They have some of their own challenges in terms of climate impact rigor, uh, but nonetheless are, are directionally the kind of things that we want to see. IRA also authorized $300 million of new research into soil carbon. There's probably seven, eight, nine marker bills uh, that have been introduced between the House and Senate to influence Farm Bill. Farm Bill expired in September. It's a five-year program, and so it'll be renegotiated this coming year, likely. Um, carbon 180 has a really awesome uh, policy tracker that you can use to see the the great momentum from different lawn wakers promoting soil carbon, uh, soil health as a solution. Uh, and then lastly, I think there's a, a real encouraging uh, upward trajectory Uh, with a slightly different piece of vocab of regenerative agriculture. Now, the problem is regenerative agriculture like itself doesn't mean one thing. (laughs) It means like 14 different things to 14 different people, but it shares much of the same goals and values as uh, an an overlapping soil carbon community or soil carbon market, um, if you want to think of them that way. Um, The the premise of a lot of that work is also that we shouldn't be over-focused on carbon. So-called carbon tunnel vision is like a real thing. I think there's great advocacy within the regen ag movement that carbon is the co-benefit, and what we're actually trying to preserve and restore is soil function. Uh, our primary scientific collaborator, Christine, whom I mentioned earlier, her organization is called the Soil Health Institute for a reason—not the Soil Carbon Institute, because soil does a whole bunch of things besides a, a kind of narrowly defined, you know, CO2e type role of of carbon storage. Uh, that also helps with some of that cultural political complexity I mentioned. Um, farmers in Iowa like, may, may or may not give a shit about CO2E. They definitely care about soil health because without soil health, they don't have yield. And without yield, they don't have revenue. And without revenue, everybody's unhappy. So soil health all of a sudden becomes much more credibly a, a national security concern you know, rather than a, a quote-unquote climate concern. And that gets it, gets it out of some of the echo chambers of coastal elite tech types like me living here uh, in Boston. And I find that greatly encouraging. The the work of SHI to basically say there's a set of solutions here that simultaneously solve for soil function, um, food security, farmer and rancher income, and emissions. Uh, that's what that's what gets me really excited. Even as I totally concede uh, many of the bummer numbers of how the last few years of soil carbon VCM efforts. Have not proved out to demonstrate successful enrollment numbers, at least among kind of broad acre commodity cropping uh, producers in the Midwest.
0: So, do you think that perhaps um, framing or like reframing the issue as uh, regenerative farming practices instead of carbon pra- practices would help farmers adopt regenerative farming practices at a at a larger scale? Where you think these practices would be more trustworthy?
1: Maybe. I mean. Yeah, I mean, that we're like, we're pretty in the weeds now. I don't think a a simple vocab change is going to have any influence by itself. But insofar as that's a part of a broader conversation around what are the opportunities here? Who are the stakeholders? How do we speak to the existing core motivations of each stakeholder a little better? That's something that I'm very strongly supportive of. And you already see that. I mean, all, all soil VCM efforts are seeing a lot of the same challenges and so if you look at the websites of a lot of these programs they're already i think doing a much better job of speaking to existing fundamental economic concerns and soil health concerns rather than over rotating on the like carbon 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 greenhouse gas you know messaging that was probably a little more prevalent even even just two or three years ago but that by itself isn't isn't going to change anything. Right. It's 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 the more fundamental challenges of economics and, and complexity that uh, are the the more important barriers to tackle.
0: You mentioned some of the ongoing programs of the U.S. government. Could you please speak to those in more detail? Like, for example, what are the incentives offered to farmers and uh, where exactly does the funding go?
1: Yeah, so they're, they're enormously varied. Uh, and that's because the approach the USDA took was was basically an RFP process where they say, I got a shit ton of money. If you got ideas, like, bring them. And, of course, USDA wants to spend the money not only in Iowa, so they incentivized uh, proposals from diverse states, diverse types of land use. We're on one project that is doing uh, agroforestry with breadfruit in Hawaii, and, like, I did not see breadfruit as a key um, uh, climate-oriented commodity, but, like, here we are. Um, of course, that's because USDA wants to build political consensus by saying, hey, everybody gets a little bit, right? Which is shrewd, uh, which is, shrewd, uh, which is a, a wise way to approach it. Um, the consequence, though, is that the actual projects that have been awarded are enormously diverse. Yardstick is on five or six, I believe. Um, some are doing sustainable aviation fuel. Some are doing regenerative um, grazing practices for beef cattle in the West. Uh, one I already mentioned is doing agroforestry. That's with Propagate, another awesome uh, climate startup, and uh, TNC, uh, the Nature Conservancy, who's also an investor uh, in Yardstick. Um, that's fun for us. Like we we want a soil carbon, soil lens, climate lens on all agricultural land use, um, and that makes it hard from a product focused perspective, because <laughs> the breadfruit people probably need something different than the than the soy and Iowa people. But I think it, it appropriately represents the opportunity for every agricultural uh, land use context in the U.S. to ultimately be be part of the solution rather than only part of the problem. Um, and the projects are all posted online. If you Google USDA Climate Smart Commodities, or we can include a link in the show notes as well, uh, it's, it's pretty fun to scroll through and to be like, yeah, somebody is working on sorghum <laughs> and dec- decommoditizing uh, sorghum. That's good. We
0: should, I guess, uh, in a more general way. Do you see this space as growing at the scale that we needed to go, to grow to actually, you know, have meaningful impact? No,
1: never. Who in climate thinks <laughs> it's like going great? I mean, obviously, a lot of things are going great, but no, it is uh, woefully, horrifyingly <laughs> too too
0: small. Uh, but in the future, like, do you in the in the near future, maybe? What's near? well say say the coming year
1: yeah I'm I'm encouraged by the coming year um a smart person uh once talked about how like um l- low quality insights talk about market size and high quality insights talk about market growth rate because ultimately it's the future market of soil carbon region egg whatever you want to call it that yardstick participates in um so I, I'm not happy with it right now. <laughs> I, uh, it's a heck of a lot bigger than it was, but I've only been doing this for a few years as well. So um, it's easy for me to show up and be like, this isn't growing at software adoption rate speeds. We're, we're off target. But also, you know, the Christine Morgans of the world are like, I have been screaming about this for 20 years and people are finally listening. Uh, it's tough to see uh, circumstances like Indigo's struggles, right? When like market leaders struggle, it can put a, a real wet blanket on a lot of fast follower efforts. That's definitely a challenge. I don't know. I, I try and avoid um, false binaries. I think it's possible to simultaneously be encouraged by the momentum that we have and really troubled that there are still profound structural barriers to, to things changing the way we need them to be. Right. If, if call this, you know, soil carbon as a movement. If as a movement we end up like organics, like I think I'll be bummed, right? It's still uh, still the exception rather than the rule. And, you know, we can argue about whether it's good or healthy for organics to be the rule rather than the exception. But at least in the U.S., there's a lot of promising um, alternative ways of thinking and behaving that get stuck in this kind of niche Whole Foods mom part of the market. And again, what I find super compelling about SHI's work is what they do to say, uh, this isn't just like a crunchy granola farmer thing. This is just better economics for any farmer who cares about economics. And you know what farmer cares about economics? Every single one of them. I find that super inspiring, even as, of course, I would prefer that indigo were, were slaying rather than than struggling on in some cases.
0: And speaking of economics, maybe just one last uh, annoying question that's related to the VCMs. Um, since you said that $20 a ton is way too low to incentivize anyone, um, where do you think that like sweet spot is price-wise for, for things to start moving and become more, more interesting to farmers? Yeah,
1: so what really matters is two things that are slightly different from price per tonne. Uh, And they are, number one, uh, price per ton on a sort of like quality or durability adjusted basis. The challenge of most soil work in market right now is that a lot of the engineered carbon removal, especially frontier-led conversation, is super-duper over-rotated, in my humble uh, opinion, on durability. And so you see a ton of like $1,000 or don't bother uh, conversations out there. And soil can't do that, or most soil can't do that, or almost definitely can't do that. I'm not sure that can either, because it's like been around for eight years. So who knows whether it can do a 1000 but you, you get my point. Um, we don't just need, we need this interesting triangulation of a ton price that is high enough to deliver far more economics and low enough to still attract a bazillion dollars of purchasing behavior constraining the conversation to to VCM uh, while soil uh, acknowledges that, yeah, we're, we're always going to be um, the, the less durable part of the, the spectrum. Um, I think a, a $100 banger of a soil ton goes head to head with a $500 DAC ton, like really compellingly. And there's not a lot of $500 DAC tons right now anyway, or if there are, you know, they're being sold below cost, which isn't um, a, a sustainable pricing strategy. The second thing that matters is less so dollars per ton and more you know dollars per acre um, per year, um, uh, which connects dollars per ton to yield, right? Like tons CO2E per acre per year and take rate. What percentage of the, the credit uh, flows through the project developer to the land manager? Most project developers, or at least most larger project developers, have committed to something like 70, 75% of ton price flowing through to the the land manager. Um they'll have to compete on that, right? If they have to compete for enrollment, which right now they don't. <laughs> or rather maybe they do among early adopters, but they don't relative to the rest of the market. Um and the other real uncertainty there is that carbon yield question, right? The reason one of the reasons yardstick exists is because the causal relationship between management practices and soil carbon stock changes is super weak. If you told me, "Hey, today I farm like this, tomorrow I'm going to farm like that." How much more soil carbon will I get? 99.9% of the time, the answer is like, I don't know, (laughs) because we just haven't looked at the incredible complexity of these systems with enough insight for long enough, especially because, remember, soil carbon is really hard to measure. (laughs) So how the hell could we uh, in the interim? So that's one of the key uncertainties that we're trying to help uh, address is – Better measurement to establish a better understanding of the causal relationship results in better agronomy. We can give people better farming advice if this is a thing that we want to prioritize. And therefore, the yield, uh, the average yield across the board, uh, will be stronger. You're getting more tons per acre per year. You're getting more credits per acre per year. uh, As price goes up simultaneously with stronger MRV, thanks to, God willing, in part yardstick, all of a sudden, I don't know, 50 bucks an acre per year? If this is 10% of your conventional crop revenue, but it's high gross margin revenue, half of family farms in America lose money every year. So you can have actually a pretty modest revenue bump. And as long as it's high gross margin revenue, uh, it can flip a whole bunch of operations from not profitable to profitable, which is a pretty powerful story to be able to tell. Um, That's also why you see the rapid advancement of a lot of higher durability work in soil especially in the domain of like enhanced rock weathering. Um, These are companies like Lithos or Ion or Undo or companies that are pursuing inorganic carbon uh, stock accumulation in soils, which uh, may have higher durability. These are companies like Andes or Loam Bio, uh, where um, the the portion of the total soil carbon stock that they're changing, they intend it to be inorganic carbon, which is higher durability maybe probably separate conversation Uh, and then therefore more attractive to higher price per ton buyers that are in the frontier kind of realm of, of carbon buying entities.
0: Okay. Thank you for the very detailed response.
1: Yeah. Sorry. I don't know if you always want eight minute answers, but I'm not, I'm not good at the.
0: No, no, I do. I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not always good at the the 30 second answer.
0: (laughs) We don't want 30 second answers. The the more details, the better. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, but just one last question before we wrap up the episode is uh, circling back to yardstick in particular. Like what uh, what do you have planned for the upcoming weeks, months, years maybe? Are there any major developments in the pipeline or announcements that you're ready to share?
1: Yeah, there better be. Uh, you know, venture back tech startup. I better have stuff on the, on the- <laughs> Uh, yeah, a few things are really exciting. Um, one is this year we'll be fielding our one meter spectral probe instead of a 45 centimeter spectral probe, which is great. That particularly unlocks spectroscopy on grazing lands, which are more commonly quantified to a one meter stock. Um, number two is last year, Vera published a revision to it, one of its soil carbon methodologies, VM42, that explicitly permits spectroscopy uh, for stock quantification, which is amazing. That's what we do. We love it. So we'll be deploying um aligned to vm 42 with spectroscopy we'll do our first international projects we'll definitely be in australia we'll probably be in mexico i personally will be in spain in march for a carbon farming conference and so i'm really hopeful that we can drum up some enthusiasm um, from europe um, we'll be publishing our first paper uh, which is massive for us and three and a half years in the making that um puts data <laughs> to these claims that we can go head to head with with laboratory analysis Super duper proud of that. Um, yeah, then just as always, like more acres, more revenue. We we want to show that this is a real business, that there's demand, that our thesis that we're an enabling technology well beyond only VCM motivations uh, is, is a key part of our commercial strategy. Uh, and so excited to be kicking off many of those USDA Climate Smart Commodity projects on super diverse landscapes, coast to coast in the U.S., Right now, about half our work is cropping and half is in grazing contexts, but we're we're literally coast to coast. Fall 2023 alone, we were from Maine to Washington State to New Mexico to Arkansas. So that's like most of the agricultural land of the U.S. I'm really proud of that. Our field team is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and there's going to be a lot more just like that this coming year.
0: Brilliant. Sounds like a very exciting year uh, for Yardstick. Chris, this was a very, very insightful conversation. Thank you for sharing so much of your knowledge with us. Uh, It was a genuine pleasure to have you. You bet. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of the Carbon Sations podcast and would like to hear more conversations like this, please be sure to subscribe. We really appreciate the support.